Good morning. morning. Today's call to worship can be found in Psalm 77, verse 1 through 12. In your pew Bible, it's on page 541. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. I remember you, God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated, and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he, in anger, withheld his compassion? Then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Today's New Testament reading can be found in Galatians 3, verses 14 through 16. In your pew Bible, it's on page 1076. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Our gospel reading this morning is in Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. In your pew Bible, it's page 893. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. I may not be able to make it black or white, but I sure was able to make it brown for a while. Hair on my head. Now I'm letting it be a little more gray. It's cheaper, if not more distinguished. Well, uh, so good to see you all here today. I'm really glad that you're here. Um, want to talk about promises today. God's promises specifically. And are we getting feedback off of this? Is that what's causing this? Psst, psst. Something else? Is that on still? Okay, I don't know what it is. I'm sensitive sound-wise, I apologize. The texts I've chosen today kind of bring us to an introduction, and I hope you'll look too at the little thing I wrote, although frankly, a couple things got lost in editing or lack thereof. So let me clarify. 
In the last sentence, it says, let's not forget that the initiative of God is his word. And word, capital W, is his initiative. That last phrase is missing. And we are the priority of that initiative. There's also a L-Y missing, a tense wrong in one of, the, one of the phrases there. But the idea is that in the beginning we read God created, formed us, made us. We did not will ourselves into existence. We did not choose for ourselves to be born. It was God's initiative that put us into being and made us in his likeness after his image for his name's sake. Okay? It was God who set the boundaries. Eat of the tree of life, don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In fact, stay away from that one. The fruits of all the trees of the garden are for your consumption, but this one. It was God who said, you will surely die, and it was God who always told the truth. But even as God confronts Adam and Eve in sin, there are promises that get made. There's a very ancient and very important promise that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It goes something like this. He shall crush the serpent's head and the serpent shall bruise his heel. And that is the promise of God's victory over Satan and sin and all of the things that have been coming to us ever since through that. So there are a number of things that are part of what's going on. Um, and are you still hearing that? Okay, let me see if it's a... Okay, where was I? Um, I think we were somewhere about Genesis 3, reviewing the promises of God, weren't we? From the beginning... God takes the initiative. He confronts Adam and Eve about their nakedness, about their choice, about the sin that they've committed, about the truth of their separation from him and from the garden, about the death that is coming to them, and about the plan he has to save them from that death, and that is a promise. He promises that one of Eve's offspring will crush the serpent's head. It's one of the oldest promises of Scripture. And God never stops promising. Never stops. He starts with covenants and oaths. And he fulfills his word to his people. Time and time and time and time again. This morning, I don't plan to recount all those times. We're going to have ample opportunity over the next uh, several weeks, a uh, dozen weeks or so, to review some of the specific promises of God and the way in which he's fulfilled them. Our psalm, a text from the Psalms today, turn to that if you would. I want to highlight a couple things there. The opening is fairly typical of a cry of need, isn't it? And how often have we made these pleas ourselves? 
I cried out to God for help, for God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands, and I would not be comforted. You've had that experience. This is the experience that speaks to all of our experiences. God, where are you in the night of our anguish? When our soul is troubled, when we don't see a way out, when our brains are spinning on problems that we cannot seem to solve, when our faith is tested and tried, in the night we are crying out, God, will you not hear me? If we're honest, at least that's our cry, or we're crying for him to hear us, to answer us, to give us a sign. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. Sometimes a groan is the best and only prayer we can make, isn't it? God, help me. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. You know what the psalmist is really saying there? My life ebbed. The energy within me diminished. My spirit was crushed. You kept my eyes from closing. And that is the final act, isn't it? When someone passes, we close their eyes. I was too troubled to speak. Now this may be dramatics on the psalmist parts. I don't know, but aren't we dramatic creatures? Oh, the drama. I'm told it's worse with girls than boys. I'm not sure. Women who have only boys in their families are shaking their head. No, there's plenty of drama. So take that to heart, girls. You're not the only ones. But it is, uh, it is in our nature, isn't it, to exaggerate, to, uh, uh, to really play it up sometimes. I don't know if that's what David's doing or whether his situation is truly that dire. But he says in 5, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart meditated and my spirit asked, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Boy, that's a heavy thing to lay on God, isn't it? And you see immediately afterward God gets angry and sends lightning and fire from heaven and consumes David and he's burnt up in his bed because he doubted. Isn't that how the story goes? You don't seem very uh, sure. Have I confused a few of you? I'm glad to hear it. No, God takes it graciously. He's got big shoulders. There are a lot of people who think God is really easy to offend. I know that pastors aren't supposed to teach congregants how to offend God, but let me tell you how to do it. Okay? If you really want to offend God, say no to him every time he knocks on the door of your heart. And don't just say no once, say it again. When, he, when he's guiding you to do the right thing, say no and do the wrong thing. When he's guiding you to speak, say no and be silent. When he's guiding you to be silent, say no and speak. When he's teaching you a path of correction, reject it and go your own way. Say, no, I don't, I don't want you. 
Do that over and over and over again and God will finally... He'll keep knocking, but you won't be able to hear Him anymore. He'll keep pursuing, but you won't be able to respond anymore. That will be your point of irreparable lostness. That'll have been your choice. So here in the night, as the psalmist cries out, this isn't something that offends God. This isn't something God can't handle. This isn't something God hasn't heard before or can't, can't be sensitive to. David is wrestling. And like so many humans before him, he has forgotten. He has to say, now wait a minute. Let me see if I can remember the goodness of the Lord, the ways in which the Lord has kept his word and his promise. Let me see if I can do that. In his meditations and songs in the night, he finds a way to get his mind refocused and to remember. Verse 9, Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then I thought, this is craziness. The years when the Most High stretched out his hand are the years I need to remember and the deeds I need to recall and the miracles of long ago that I must recite once again. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. I will remember, Lord, that you are a promise keeper. Always. Always. So we've been there. We have this relationship to God and the promises of God and the acts of God in recorded history. And outside of recorded history, we have this understanding and this capacity and yet we, like David, forget his initiative and forget his willingness to follow through on that initiative. We read in Galatians 3... I always like to speak a little bit to the passages that we've read, even if it means reading them twice. And frankly, I don't think it hurts to get Scripture embedded a little bit in our brains. I mean, no offense to the readers. Galatians 3, 14 to 16. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, let us make, take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. And so we have Christ who is the fulfillment of this promise. Now, this passage, without the full context, could be just a little confusing. And I want to be clear. Abraham did not wake up one morning, call God, and say, I have an idea. I would like to go to the middle of nowhere and take on a people that, have inherited, that, that live in a land 
and I would like to run them out. And by the way, I am going to... Uh, I'm telling you now, I will be a great nation even though my wife is old. So, not quite the way it happened. Abraham receives the promise to go to a land that he hasn't yet seen. And he takes off with his whole clan from an established city and an established life. And he goes to this place and he takes his time getting there. He sets up camp at several places. But he finally does arrive. And he wages war, fights off kings, uh, rescues his kidnapped uh, relative. He does all sorts of things in this place. Except have a child. Meanwhile, God has come to him and said, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And his wife is getting older by the minute. The proverbial clock is ticking, you know. And it isn't happening for them. Now they're way past the clock. It's ticking time and it still hasn't happened. And so Sarai gives Abram his, her handmaid and Abraham has Ishmael. And he's not the child of promise. And finally Isaac is the child of promise. And two enormous nations are born. Still in conflict, but nevertheless, two nations born. God fulfills his word to Abraham. But the promise given to Abraham's seed, Paul argues, is singular because it doesn't refer to the plurality of people that were born as Abraham's seed. It refers to the fulfillment of that particular promise, who is Christ, who takes the gospel beyond the promise or the good news or the, the invitation to belong to be a chosen person beyond Abraham and brings it to the entire world. Who expands this open invitation, this initiative of God. And in Christ this is fulfilled. The promise happens 12, 13, 1400 years before the fulfillment. Maybe more. Archaeologists differ on these things. We're talking early Bronze Age anyway, okay? Whatever that is. Abraham's early Bronze Age. So however you place that, that's how far in advance of Christ Abraham is. God doesn't fulfill a promise in a year or a day or a generation, and yet we lay awake at night and wonder why he hasn't fulfilled his promises to us. Some of these things involve the big picture. You know what I'm saying? And we're talking about us being a little tile on a large mosaic. A very large mosaic. Our final text this morning, Matthew 5, speaks to the way Christ deals with this whole issue of promises and oaths and so forth. It had morphed into something that wasn't exactly godly. You see, a promise could be a way to a loophole. I can't care for my parents because everything I have has been promised to the church. And yet the commandment is to honor your father and your mother. So the whole notion of, of uh, oath and promise and covenant was being misused 
people were swearing on heaven, on God, on whatever, that their word was good, and Christ sets all of this aside in the Beatitudes. Verse 33, again you've heard it that was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows that you have made. That, by the way, is Moses. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven for its God's throne, or the earth for its footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, because you cannot change the color of your hair. This was back in the day, remember. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the devil. There's a whole lot about that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Just be a people of simple truth. Is it possible that an honest person could say yes to something that they later had to not be able to do? Would you consider that that's happened to you? Have you made a promise to somebody to be somewhere, do something, or told your boss that you would get something done in a particular time frame and you weren't able for various reasons or circumstances to do that? Do you consider yourself to be a total liar? Do you consider yourself to be damned because you have done this evil thing of not fulfilling that word? No, and yet the oath had with it maledictory consequences. One of the oaths that God enters early on is a self-maledictory oath. An animal is cut in half and placed on either side of a path and the person walks through that and basically says, what has happened to this animal will happen to me if I break this word. Now this is sworn by God. And in the story I'm referring to, God himself enters this oath. Now God will not fail to keep such a word or such an oath. But Jesus is telling us here, don't even think about entering those kinds of things. You cannot control what happens to you in life. You can't even change the color of the hair on your head. Let's reframe that. You get the idea. Our promises are almost always conditional. Our promises depend on a future that we can't be certain of. Our promises are dependent on our capacity and well-being and freedom from harm and injury and death. Our promises are conditioned upon having the energy and the means to fulfill them. Our promises can fail. Our word can fail. Our initiative can fail. God's initiative never fails. And his initiative is to you. Always has been. From the moment of creation, from the fall and the promise of redemption, to the moment Jesus hung his head on the cross and said, it is finished. To this very moment, God's initiative is for you. And it's given us in his word, small w, 
the scriptures and it's given to us in his word, large W, the person of Jesus Christ who was the word made flesh, the one who dwelt among us, the fulfillment of all things. His promise is sure. And through the next couple of weeks, months, I want to tease out a little bit more of what I said in my opening paragraph. I don't want you to be the kind of people who use a promise in a illegitimate way and then find yourself disappointed. I don't want you to be spiritually immature in such a way that if your idea of the fulfillment of God's word doesn't happen, you believe God has failed. Was that clear? Seems like a pretty convoluted sentence in retrospect, but let me see if I can say it differently. I want you to mature into the kind of believers who trust God regardless of the immediate external evidence of his working. And I want to mature you as believers into the understanding that while his promises are sure, they are not ours to abuse, only to lean on. That by faith, Abraham took that step, and by faith, we must take our step. And so we're going to explore and take seriously the next, the next little bit here, the promises of God. I look forward to this journey with you. For his word is sure. To the one who has made so many promises, we give glory and honor and thanksgiving to this day. Amen.